Hi, I'm Dr. Amy Robbins, and welcome to Life, Death, and the Space Between podcast. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and medium, and here we explore life, death, consciousness, and what it all means. Today, I have Linda Yael Schiller on the show. Linda is an MSW, LICSW, psychotherapist, consultant, supervisor, and trainer in Watertown, Massachusetts. By integrating traditional therapeutic styles and techniques with expressive energy psychology and mind-body-based modalities, Linda is able to provide support for healing at all levels of the self, mind, body, heart, and spirit. Her philosophy of treatment incorporates both deep healing at the source and practical coaching for daily life issues and dilemmas. Her new book, PTS Dreams, Transform Your Nightmares Through Healing Dreamwork is out now. Welcome, Linda. Thank you. Good morning. Thank you so much for everybody who has supported the podcast. So there's so many ways you can support the podcast and the work that I'm doing. One, you can spread the word about the podcast. So share the podcast with someone you know, repost my anything on social media. If you are a therapist listening to the podcast and you have a client who you think would benefit share it with them. This podcast has grown completely organically. I've never done advertising. I've never done anything to boost the podcast. It is all because of you all sharing the podcast. Other ways that you can support the podcast is through Patreon. Go to Patreon, put in Dr. Amy Robbins. You can find different tiers to support the podcast at the five, 10 or $20 level or any other denomination. My $20 supporters do get once quarterly Zoom calls with me. They've been fabulous. Thank you so much. And I just want to point out what a difference this makes for me. Right now, the the podcast is supported by you all. And I'm so grateful. If you benefit from the podcast, if your life has shifted or changed as a result of the podcast, please help me continue to help you have on these great guests. Also follow me on Instagram, Dr. Amy Robbins. I love hearing from my listeners. And lastly, rate, review, and subscribe. That is super important. I also love reading the reviews. Thank you all for all of your support, for all of your love, for all of your helping to collectively raise the consciousness of this planet. I am so incredibly grateful. So let's, I want to jump right in here because I think that dreams and sleep are such an important part of our lives that we often don't pay attention to the work that's happening when we're sleeping. Mm -hmm. So can you talk to me a little bit about what the difference is between dreams and nightmares? Sure. So dreams of all kinds, including those that are pleasant and enjoyable and those that are difficult or scary, are a way for us to sort of rinse out um, our our thoughts and experiences from, from the day. So what happened the day, the week, the month before. And they're also an opportunity for us to get deep healing way back in time from our own lifetime and possibly other lifetimes and ancestral um, occurrences as well. The main difference between what we would call a dream and a nightmare has to do with the affect, with the emotion connected with the dream. So in any dream, there are several different types of narratives that are running. 
One is simply the storyline of the dream. So this happened and then that happened. So that's the, the narrative line of the dream. Then there's the setting, just like in a book or a novel, where it took place, the different places you go in your dream in this world or, or traveling, time traveling or space traveling. And then there's the emotional narrative. And the emotional narrative is what are we feeling at the beginning, the middle, and the end of our dream? That's what makes the difference between a dream and a nightmare, is what are the emotions connected with what's happening in the dream? So, for example, if um, I'm taking a walk in the forest and I run across um, a mountain lion, and for in my dream, I recognize this mountain lion as my totem animal and he's really friendly. I'm going to be, oh, this is a lovely dream. I'm feeling awe. I'm feeling a sense of presence and I'm not scared of the mountain lion. That's one dream. In the same dream, if someone else has a dream and they're in the woods and they run into a mountain lion and they say, oh, no, this lion might attack me. I'm really scared. I've got to get out of here. I got to climb a tree. And the most uh, predominant feeling is fear. That's a different dream. Same uh, setting, same characters. The emotion, the emotional response is what makes the difference between a dream and a nightmare. So in your book, you talk about PTSD and and I'm I found myself thinking is what sort of determines how you view that dream that mountain lion for example mm -hmm. a result of the emotional experiences that you've had that then inform um that feeling or is it that you are working through, let's say, the fear of an abusive partner mm -hmm. and the mountain lion represents that partner. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the dream is scary right? versus the mountain lion is your spirit animal. Right. So that's a really good sense even. Yeah, no, it does. It makes perfect sense. Um, so there's a couple different ways to answer that. The, the first sort of most basic level is there are some things that we are biologically hardwired to be afraid of because it was a self-protective mechanism when we were, you know, cave women and men and, and the mountain lion showed up or the snake showed up. We had to have a quick response of, you know, fight, flight, or freeze to survive, literally. So some of our reactivity to sort of universal events or, or, or animals or beings in our life are sort of hardwired biological responses. So there's that part of it. The other part, though, is absolutely um, what have we lived through in our life? Have we had difficult traumatic experiences, A, and B, are they still going on or have they stopped, right? Are we continuing to live in a situation where we're at risk either in our personal lives or at a larger global scale with war or immigration issues or police violence or whatever the larger global traumas are that we're dealing with will make a difference as to how they show up in our dreams and what we do with the information. Because 
PTSD, which stands for post-traumatic stress disorder, is not developed by every single person who has a traumatic event. This is, so this is very, very important because trauma right now is, I think, I feel like every sort of generation or maybe less than generation has almost like a disorder that becomes very prominent, right? right. Like I remember it was ADHD for a while and then it was bipolar disorder. And then it was I'm trying to think like maybe there was a really strong period, which might still be now that narcissistic personality disorder right. really has kind of the front stage and trauma, I think is right up there right now. Yes. Yeah. So can you take a moment and describe trauma versus PTSD? Yes. And also you talk about this in your book, but I think it's really important for people. And it's just discussed a lot in the trauma space is big T trauma and little T trauma. Yeah. Thank you for asking both of those questions. So um, trauma, like the, the DSM, the diagnostic and statistic manual, which is sort of like the, the holy grail Bible of, you know, psychotherapists in terms of making diagnosis and things, talks about trauma as our reaction to circumstances where we either are in danger or feel that we're in danger and we have been harmed either physically or psychically or emotionally, either we ourselves or people close to us. Mm -hmm. So that is sort of a broad brushed definition of trauma. Trauma can happen in our personal lives, in our family systems, in our schools, in our youth group. And those are more um, what we'd call uh, personal traumas such as uh, abuse, um, sexual assault, neglect, um, bullying, um, these happen fr from one person toward another person. So there's an, uh, a, um, a relational aspect to the trauma, that the relationship you have with someone who you wish and hope you could count on and trust, a parent, a grandparent, a teacher, a priest, a scout leader, they betray the trust that's imbued in the relationship by overstepping into something that's harmful as opposed to something that's nurturing. So this would be a category of personal trauma. And then there's the non-personal trauma. Well, let me actually, yeah, non-personal trauma would be things that we experience more like sort of acts of God or acts of community as opposed to particularly directed toward us as individuals, whether it's global warming, whether it's pandemic, illness and isolation, whether it's being a survivor of war, these were not personally directed at us within the confines of our, our home or our school, but um, they're more at a, a public level. So we've got the private and the public trauma, right? One of the major differences in terms of how we react and respond is how the traumatic events are understood by other people. The response we get when we've been through a trauma becomes part of our journey, either toward or away from healing from the trauma. Mm -hmm. So if we're supported, believed, and accepted as true, what we're saying happened, there's less of a layer of trauma than if we're not believed or questioned or told we're a liar. So if someone is a survivor of, the, of an earthquake, 
nobody's going to say, well, hopefully nobody will say we, this, there's another layer here. Um, <laughs> yes. That's, uh, oh, that didn't happen. You're just making it up. Don't be a liar. They'll say, oh, yeah, there was an earthquake. A hundred people died. You know, buildings came down and, and there's no question. If a child is abused in the confines of their home or of a school, then it becomes he said, she said the child's world word against the adult's word and how whether or not they're believed and supported will have a great effect in terms of their healing process. I think that I just wanted to point out that that's why in many cases it's so important really early on when a traumatic experience occurs for someone to get treatment in a way or have a loving caregiver or someone who hears them. Mm -hmm because it decreases the likelihood of pathology occurring, right? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. When the traumatic events are no longer happening, when we can say it happened, it's over now, which is part of the protocol actually for a form of healing called TAT, tapas acupressure technique, which works on a meridian-based system where there is a cognitive protocol that goes along with um, meridian interventions. It's, it's similar to EMDR, but a little bit different. Is it different than EFT? It's in the same ballpark, but it is different than EFT. Yeah, EFT is colloquial known as like the tapping method. Right, and right. TAT, you're, you're putting your hands in certain poses, holding meridian points on your head and working through a protocol of, of healing statements Interesting. Um, okay. while tuning in to what is coming up for you. But the reason I mentioned it is because if we know that the traumatic events that happened in our lives are over, but we're still carrying upset and distress, our upset and distress is now connected with our memory of what happened as opposed to what's currently happening. Mm -hmm. And that differentiation makes a difference in our healing process and in how we work with the dreams as well when we have nightmares. Okay. So can you say more about that? And can you also clarify too, the difference between a PTS, a trauma-based, I think is what you call it, a trauma-based nightmare versus a normal nightmare. How do sure. I know my nightmare comes from trauma versus just? Okay. So there's a couple ways to tell the difference between a quote unquote normal, non-trauma-based nightmare. Right. Which um, can still be traumatic. Of <laughs> course. Nightmares. By, yeah. By definition, they're scary. So here's some of the things that are different. Number one, starting sort of chronologically, kids go through a period of time where nightmares are normative in a child's development. As they grow up and begin to realize their parents are not infallible, all of a sudden the world is not as safe as they were, as it was when their parents could fix everything. So during this sort of latency age period of like, you know, five to 10, when in their outside world, things are pretty stable, but they're moving out of the house and they're, they're stepping out away from the security of the home and parents can't fix everything anymore like they used to. Kids get scared. And when they get scared, there are monsters in the closet and, and monsters under the bed. To, to say nothing of the influence of scary movies and social media, and that's a whole other conversation about mm -hmm. the contribution those make to nightmares. But with kids, generally speaking, if they are in relatively, you know, reasonably safe environments with reasonably good caretakers, a little TLC and some good parenting strategies and some good reassurance is going to help the nightmares abate 
going to help the kids feel re-empowered to be able to sort of conquer their nightmare monsters and sort of move on. So that's sort of part A, that there's a developmentally normative stage where, where we have nightmares. Another thing is when there are hormonal and biological changes. We've heard, for example, with women who are pregnant in particular, crazy, crazy dreams and nightmares. And some of those are hormonally influenced, mm -hmm. as well as during adolescence, when young men and women are going through a lot of hormonal changes, sometimes our body changing can create images and scenes and events in our dreaming minds that aren't necessarily having to do with trauma, but it has to do with our physical bodies undergoing incredible transitions and our endocrine system responding to that. Mm -hmm. The key for discerning, I think, if something is a trauma, aside from those, and then there's did you have too much to drink? Did you have indigestion from bad food? Did you take a substance? Did you take ayahuasca or did you smoke pot or did you do uh, psilocybin? These, of course, can affect, you know, how our dreaming mind understands what it's what it's seeing. So aside from external or developmental events, then the difference between a quote unquote regular nightmare or a trauma based nightmare has to do with a few things. One is how intense and scary it is. Two is, do we wake up knowing that was a dream and it's not real? Or do we wake up with a hangover and we can't shake it all day long? And is it repetitive? Does it come back again and again and again? Like on Groundhog Day, we're revisiting this nightmare over and over and over. If we're having a scary dream over and over, do we continue to wake with fear or anxiety or do we gradually begin to wake up feeling some resolution at the end of the dream, right? If the fear and anxiety in a nightmare is in the beginning of your nightmare, but by the end, you're feeling you've solved the problem, you're feeling empowered, you're, the monster is not chasing you, or the monster has become your friend, or you've, you know, gotten through the, you know, the, um, the dark places and out the other side, that's probably not a trauma nightmare because, or if it is, you've done a lot of work already on healing your trauma. So you're not stuck in the scary, um, disempowered places. Mm -hmm. And what about people who don't remember their dreams? I, I find myself, it's very rare for me to remember a dream, except this one recurring dream. But other than that, I don't find I remember them. Yeah. So... You and many, many other people, and there are lots of reasons why we don't remember dreams. Um, one of them has to do with, in our modern Western society, we tend to not to value them. So we don't notice what we don't value. If we appreciate the information, the direction, the spiritual connection that our dreams can provide for us, and we put our attention on valuing them, we are much more likely to remember them. That's just sort of one tip. There are many because we all dream five to seven times every night. There are five to seven REM cycles. So it also depends on when we wake up. If we wake up in the beginning or the end of the REM cycle, we'll be more or less likely, or actually the reverse, less or more likely to remember the dream. So when people say, I don't dream, that's not literally true. What they really mean is I'm not remembering my dreams. So if you want 
to be able to tap in. I, I tell my clients, this is like free therapy every night, right? Mm-hmm. You can remember your dreams and capture them and write them down. You can work with this material. You can bring it into your therapy session, but you can also work with your partner, with your friends in a dream circle to unravel and unpack the meanings and the messages from your dreams. Um, you get a, a real jump start on moving forward in your life. So the last thing I'll say, and then I'll stop talking and let you get a word in. Um, start with, in Hebrew, there's a wonderful world. It's kavanah. Kavanah means intention. It's from the word lekaven, which means to point in a particular direction. So if we have kavanah, we're pointing ourselves in the direction of remembering. So if before we go to sleep at night, we make sure we have our dream journal and a pen next to our bed. Or if you're not your millennial, phone, and, not your phone, people. Yeah, ideally not your phone. <laughs> but if all else fails and there's no other way you're going to capture it, you know, talk it or type it into your phone or your computer. But dreams are so ephemeral, right? They're like wisps of smoke. You sit up too quickly and they're gone. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, there's that dream, but I can't remember it now. It's true because dreams are embodied. And when we move our bodies, we can shatter the, the fragile um, fabric of the dream. Say more about that, because you talk about the somatic part of dreaming as well. Yeah. So when we dream, there are certain parts of our physiology that are involved. Different parts of our brain are online and offline when we're awake and when we're dreaming. And when we have emotions in our waking or sleeping life, another word for emotions is feelings. Why? Because we feel them and they're in our physical bodies. Right. So our language is full of of metaphors of uh, emotional based responses to things. I had a gut feeling that I felt sick to my stomach. Um, I was blindsided by this occurrence. I felt the hair on the back of my neck go up. Well, these are all the hair on the back of the neck. That could actually be a physical thing. But these are others are metaphors in our languages. But it speaks to what's actually happening in our body. So when we dream, it's as real when we're asleep as when we're awake. It's two sides of the same coin of of consciousness, different layers of consciousness. So when we are jarred out of our sleep, one of my clients used to call her alarm clock, her dream eraser, because it would Mm. jar her out of her sleep and then the dream would be gone. Um, We're less likely to remember. So we want to get it down in writing We want to move as slowly as possible when we wake up. Sometimes if we wake up and and we're in that hypnagogic or hypnopompic zone in between waking and sleeping, that sort of nether world of in-betweenness, stay still for a minute and and let the dream set, you know, like old-fashioned jello, you know, let it set for a minute before you move and then grab your writing material and and, and anchor it in writing and you'll have a much better chance of remembering things if you've done some of these steps than if you haven't. And you have a very specific method for working with the dreams and understanding the dreams. Yes, thank you. I designed a method. Let let me just back up and then move into the method so our listeners will, will know what you're referring to. Dreams have multiple layers of meaning and truth. So Dreams can simultaneously have many layers of meaning. It's not either or. 
and as a handy sort of acronym to allow us to work with these multiple layers of a potent, of a meaning in a dream, I, did, I used the acronym of the Pardes, which is from the Kabbalah. And Pardes, the word in Hebrew, literally means orchard. And that's an analogy for the Garden of Eden, our first orchard. And it's also an acronym. So the P R D and S of the letters stand for the four words in Hebrew by which we read the holy books. We read Torah if we're doing it from a Kabbalistic through this ever deepening layer. So the P stands for in Hebrew, the word is pshat, which means simple. So the first layer of our dream is the story. This happened. You know, I went for a walk. I was on the beach and I saw the waves coming in. Shocked. That's the story. So then the next layer of the R stands for the word remez, which is the Hebrew for hint or hinted at. So here's where we go past the initial storyline and start to pay attention to our associations. Oh, yeah, I was at the beach two days ago and I had a great time and I could still feel the sand between my toes. That must be why I dreamt that I was at the beach. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, I was at the beach and I almost got caught in a riptide. It was really scary, but I managed to get out. And, oh, that's why I dreamed that there were these big tsunami waves coming in because it was kind of like the same kind of thing at the beach. So the R layer are our associations that may or may not be contained in the dream story, but we don't have to work too hard to find them. They kind of jump out at us. Mm-hmm. And those are, I think when, at least I don't do a lot of dream interpretation in my work because I'm not trained in it. But what I often ask people when they share a dream is initially, what are your associations to the That's dream? Right. Not... I just Googled what does snail mean and snail means I'm moving slow in my life. So I must be moving slow in my life. Yeah. Right? Yes. So um, Amy, so what you did actually, even though you say you're not trained is perfect because our job as the dream supporter, as the dream help aid or dream guide is not to tell someone what our dreams mean, but to help them find out for themselves what they mean. Mm-hmm. because you could have a snail in your dream and snails could have a million associations. So your association may not be the one that rings true for the dreamer. Right. So to ask them first, because they're metaphors and they're symbols, and we all have our own repertoire of symbols mm-hmm. and metaphors. Mm-hmm. Um, some are universal, and so we can look things up and we can tap in, but we don't want to say, oh, I looked it up and it means that you're moving slowly. Well, Maybe, but maybe it means you are home wherever you are because mm-hmm. you a snail carries their home on their back and they live inside it. So no matter where they go in their life, they know how to carry home with them, mm-hmm. which is very different interpretation of the same symbol than mm-hmm. moving slowly. Right. Right. Yeah. So I always start with asking the dreamer for their associations. And then if you're working with someone or your people are working with a group, you can gather other people's associations and decide if you get an aha or not, mm-hmm. right? So for the dreamer, that aha, that sort of bone knowing, that tingle is going to be the sign that this is true for your dream, not just somebody else's dream. Well, and that's where I think when you're working with dreams and therapy, it can come in because what might be, be coming up for you unconsciously in your dreams might also be 
something you've been working on in therapy and you might not connect those two pieces. But right. The job as the therapist is to help say, well, wait, you know, you're talking about running from life or running away from things. And, you know, the snail is coming up. I wonder if the snail has anything to do with the importance of staying put or being at home or if you're, you know, something like that. That's, that's I think, where the interpretation can come in where the therapist or someone who's not you right. will be able to help give that right. perspective. Right. Even Carl Jung famously said that he needed help interpreting his own dreams. Right. Because we all we all have blind spots. Right. Mm -hmm. None of us can see the back of our own heads without not just one, but two mirrors. Right. To look in one mirror mm -hmm. and see the back. So working with other people in therapy or in a dream group um, is key to be able to really unpack. That would be a Jungian term, the whole dream. Mm -hmm. So if you're in the helping professions and your clients are bringing you dreams, we're not going to say to them, oh, this is that. But sometimes what I will say is. I wonder if, or I'm thinking this might be connected to what we were talking about last week. What about you? Do you, do you feel there might be a connection here? Is that right? Or yeah. Or simply to say, take a minute and put your attention on your dream and see what emerges as the most important part of the dream or the strongest symbol or simply what might be most relevant for you given what you've been working on in therapy in the last few months, mm -hmm. right? And then they can come up with it on their own. Um, would you like me to say the last two? Yeah, yeah I wanted to get back to that, sorry. No problem. I know no talking problem. about things and how they relate. I, I like to help people relate it to sort of their everyday existence, whether they're in therapy or not in therapy, just to right. kind of describe how it might show up. Okay, yes. so the D, I think we're D, right? Very good, good tracking. Yes. <laughs> so the D stands for drosh, and drosh is from the word lidrosh, which means to pursue or chase after. And in when a, a rabbi is, is doing a drosh on Torah, that's when they're doing like their sermon or their interpretation. So if we're reading about Joseph having his dreams in the Bible and then the person who's leading the service says, oh, and here's what it might be associated with or what it means or layers of meaning, they're doing a drosh. So when we get to the D, we are pursuing the deeper layers of meaning in a dream. And here is where we would use a whole variety of different um, dream understanding, dream unpacking methods, often called dream interpretation, though in my world, I try not to use the word um, interpretation because I'm not telling you what it means. But in dream guidance, we might use the gestalt, for example, where every person, every object in the dream is a part of yourself. We might do um, a embodied somatic approach to the dream where we get up and we say, where do you feel this in your body? Maybe we do some movements. So this might be similar to doing SE, somatic experiencing work. We might look at the symbols and the metaphors for the dreams. We might look at the spiritual. Is there, are there any beings from other worlds that have shown up in your dreams? But here's where we use a lot of different methods. Jung called it active imagination. Mm -hmm. So we then actively engage in waking dialogue with aspects of the dream to pursue and get more meaning. And then the final layer, the S, stands for sod, which means secret or mystery. 
And here's where we tune in to the transpersonal, the worldly, the other times, other spaces, other dimensions, and if it's part of your belief system into our connection with the divine, however and whatever that means to you. And at any given point in time, depending on how much time you have to work with the dream, there will be elements from all those four layers. You may or may not want to go that whole way, or you might not have the time, but it's available if you're interested and have the time. So the the so the secret layer that you talked about this connection to the divine other time other space would you say that is still a dream how would you categorize that is that still a dream or is that a time traveling experience or a um visitation or you know, when you have those moments in your dream where you have such clarity because it feels like you might have spoken to a spirit guide or God or Jesus or the Mother Mary or, any, you know, any of these. It, is that then a dream? Well, it depends on your definition of dream, right? So there are sleeping dreams. There are threshold dreams and there are waking dreams and they're all part of the dream weave or the dream world. Some we have when we're sound asleep, some we have in those in-between spaces between waking and sleeping. And when we're in altered states, like in a trance or under the influence of a a medication or or a substance. And then there are waking dreams, which Jung would call synchronicity. Those experiences of like deja vu or I think I've been here before, or this is so familiar. What, what is that? It's, it's not exactly the same as waking reality. So differentiating is important, but not important at the same time, depending on your orientation toward um, levels of consciousness and levels of reality. Just to pick up two points from what you said, there are dreams where a beloved departed comes in as a symbol. Or I dreamt that my mom was in a dream last night and she and I, you know, had a conversation about what we're going to have for dinner. But it was a lovely dream. It was a nice dream. But it didn't have that numinous quality, that sort of ethereal, this is more real than real quality. So that would be, quote unquote, a dream. And then there are times when mom came and she gives you a hug. And you can smell her perfume and you feel her. And these are usually lovely, comforting, healing dreams. Those we might call a visit. Mm -hmm. There are visitations that would fall under the rubric of dream. But there's a difference, right? There's an extra vividness around um, a visit. And we might say the same depending on, you know, your belief system. If you've had an encounter with a holy or divine being, whether it was Jesus or Buddha or Mother Mary or an aspect of the divine, and you just get that sense of awe or peace and that felt sense of this is an encounter with something holy then that's another kind of dream, right? Mm-hmm. That who, who are we to say? You know, Einstein, uh, you know, a, a scientist was a firm believer in God. And when I work with people, I say, God or whatever word is comfortable for you. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but he would say there are things in the universe we don't understand. And I don't think he'd say, and thank God for that. But, you know, that the implication is that we can't just explain it all away. Right. Now, quantum yeah. physics is very close to um, spiritual study. 
And it's getting closer and closer every day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I so appreciate how you've differentiated all of these pieces. For people who've been listening to me since the beginning or who've heard my story, they know my story really came out of vis- a visit. Oh, wow. visits over a period of many years. And that's how I started getting information. And I, and I always say, you know, for me, the difference was that it it is as clear to me now as it was then. Right. And I've never had a dream that's as clear to me five minutes after I wake up, let alone, you know, 20 years later. Yes. And I, and I don't think it's the retelling of it that has kept it clear because there have been gaps in time where I haven't retold it. And so, and even the recurring dream I was speaking to you about, even though it's recurring, still isn't as clear to me after I tell it as those visits were. Okay. Yeah. Right. That's one of the things that help us differentiate is that clarity. There's like a luminescence and, and it's as real as, you know, the, the, the books on your shelf or the shawl on my chair. Yeah. Yeah. Can we shift? Can I ask you just some fun questions? Sure. Some, I call it my little, um, my speed round. Okay. Spirituality means? Spirituality means we are in tune or aware of a connection or the possibility of a connection with forces larger and more far-seeing than ourselves that have the potential to provide peace, comfort, and healing. I don't think I've ever, like, that just, like, came off the top of my head. I've never framed it like that before. That was pretty impressive. <laughs> Thanks. What is something most people don't know about you? <laughs> well, uh, my good friends know this, but if I cry, it means it's true. So when I'm working on a dream, for example, if my eyes fill up with tears, pretty much we know we've hit pay dirt. Wow. That's one thing. Do your patients know that? Yeah, some of them. I'm pretty open about, you know, that they don't have to worry. I I don't generally cry in my sessions, but if I'm moved, right, if I'm moved by something, my my mirror neurons, if you will, Mm -hmm. um, will respond and I might I might fill up with tears. Mm -hmm. And often when we're we're traveling together in a spiritual realm, the the feeling of presence, you know, will be not just for my client, but will be in the room. So I will resonate mm-hmm. with that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, what is one thing you're really looking forward to? I am really looking forward to going to dance camp in three days. <laughs> dance, I want to go to dance camp. You should come to dance camp. Where is dance camp? And dance camp, dance camp look is like? in, um, it's in Western Mass. And it's been around for, we're going on over 40 years. And um, it's called Dance New England. And it began with a bunch of hippies dancing on Cambridge Common back in the day in the 60s and has morphed over time to a large organization with multi-layers. Now we have childcare and teen program and adults. And there are classes in various aspects of dance, movement, spirituality all day long. And at night, there are great boogies to dance to. I need to look into this. (laughs) That's Chicago's not too far. <laughs> I know. That's one thing people don't know about me is that how much I love to dance. Oh, cool. No, they do. What now is do. one thing you're deeply grateful for? 
I am deeply grateful for my family, my daughter, who we got through a, a combination of a, in my first book called Modern Dream Work, the first chapter is about dreaming my daughter home. She was born in China and we, I had a confirmatory dream that helped bring her home to us. So I'm very grateful for my family and I'm grateful that I can do this work because having a sense of being able to be of service is a two-way street. And I, I love talking about this, these uh, topics. And I feel not only am I able to be of, of help and service to other people, I get something from it every time I talk about it too. So I'm really grateful that what I do for a living also feeds me as well. Did you read Lisa Miller's book, The Awakened Brain? I've heard of it, but I have not read it. It's not. No, she she talks about a similar experience mm. in, in bringing home a child. Oh. Yeah, really powerful. What book is on your nightstand other than oh. your own? I just got back from IASD, the International Association for the Study of Dreams, the annual conference, which was the first time we met live in three years. We were out in Tucson. It was amazing. And I met the author of a book, her first book. I met Catherine Shainberg and her first book, Kabbalah and the Power of Dreams. And her new book is Kabbalah, the Kabbalah of Light. And I am reading the Kabbalah of Light right now. And it is amazing. So that's on my nightstand. Okay. I'll and I love historical fiction. So I got always got historical fiction on my nightstand. So I can't remember her name. So, but the first book was called The Scribe of Siena. And the book I'm reading now is called um, Anticipation, same author. Okay. And it's got time travel and spirituality and um, romance and family dynamics and just yummy. <laughs> I keep ending up reading books, not on purpose, just what's what I grab is around time travel as well, yeah. which has been interesting. And I'm yeah. thinking, okay, what's this about? Hmm. What is your favorite spiritual or healing practice? I have a new favorite. There's a prayer called Anabakoach, which translates as please give us strength. And a friend of mine sent it to me when People, some people that I know were having various struggles and, and health and, and other issues in their life. And it's basically, it's a deep Kabbalistic prayer and it's for untangling the tangles in our life. And you can Google it on, you know, find it on YouTube. And I've been listening to that lately and it's been very, very powerful. That's one thing. And the other spiritual practice that I've been doing for a long, long time is making sure that pretty much every day I go out in nature and put hands or feet on the earth, the water, breathe the air. I, my call, I have a home office, so my garden is right in the backyard. My clients walk through the path through the gardens. When we end, before I see the next person, I'm going to go out and look at my garden. I'll deadhead a few flowers or pull a weed. That just grounds me and recenters me back to connect with the earth. Makes me want to do the same. I think I will. And my last question, what is the most transformative experience in your life? Oh, my goodness. All right. Well, there's a couple. And I'll end with the most transformative that I can remember. In my 30s, 
I started to do rock climbing, started learning at an indoor rock climbing gym. And the first time I got all the way to the top of the wall and touched the ceiling, I thought that I had just hit the jackpot. It was such a high to have climbed all the way up and touched the top. So that was one. <laughs> um, the other is I mentioned to you, um, I think before we started recording when I was in Greece years ago, and for the first time I heard the stones talking to me and I could feel the, the land vibrate. And, and I was young, I was like 21. And at that point I knew that we are not the only sentient beings on this mm. planet. And then the third time, the last one, is a couple years ago, I was at uh, Yom Kippur services at Temple, and they had a cello and a violin on two different sides of the room playing the Kol Nidre prayer, the um, asking for forgiveness for all of our transgressions prayer. And I'm standing right in between the cello and the violin, and the music kind of met in me. And I can still feel it as I talk, this vibratory sense of the vibrations of the strings. And I literally had to hold on to the chair in front of me to like not fall over. I've never had anything like that before or since, but it was very profound. Well, and what I want to point out to people is I think that often when people are on a spiritual quest or journey, they're really looking for like these huge moments. And they're not often huge. They're these small moments that are just so profound that they stick with you. Yeah, that's right. Right. It's those little moments that we remember, right? When I go out in the garden, I say, oh, look, my new dahlia bloomed. That's it. That's made my day. That's a spiritual moment. You have such a beautiful way about you, your energy, your mix of spirituality and psychology. If you were in Chicago, I would be booking a session or many. <laughs> oh. but, yeah. And, and I don't often feel so, you know, I feel like the way that you think about this work is really a beautiful combination. Thank you. Thank you. So where could people find you? So my website is Linda Yael Schiller. That's L-I-N-D-A-Y-A-E-L s-c-h-i-l-l-e-r.com. That's the website for sort of all of my stuff, what I do. And then I have websites for my two books. The first is Modern Dreamwork, and that is www.moderndreamwork.com. And the new book that is available for pre-order now and is going to be out in one month for holding in your hands, PTS Dreams. And that website is www.moderndreamwork.com ptsdreams.com. And you can get these books from Llewellyn, the publisher, from Amazon, from um, bookshop.org, which is an indie bookstore organization, um, Barnes and Nobles, pretty much anywhere books are sold. Perfect. Well, thank you for your time today and for this insightful conversation about dreams that I know is going to help help many understand their dreams and maybe pay more attention to their dreams as well. So thank you, Linda. You are very welcome, Amy. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure meeting you and Me I hope too. you get a good night's sleep and get over your jet lag. <laughs> Me too. Me too. All right. Hopefully have some good dreams. Yes. All righty. Thanks so much. Thank you. Like what you heard today and want to hear more? Wondering what comes next and what it all means? 
Head over to Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts and hit subscribe. Also, if you could take a minute to rate and review my podcast, I would really appreciate it. Stay tuned as we continue to explore life, death, and the space between. <laughs>